0: Greetings! Welcome to Splinters, the podcast from the Northwest Woodworking Studio. I am Gary Rogowski. I am still Gary Rogowski, and I have a small topic to discuss today. Should only take a few minutes. <laughs> the nature of quality. Oh my goodness! But you know, we can get started. I think we can get started on this on this idea, and and it came up because there I wasn't in, in the studio. Trying to stay busy. I I don't get big chunks of time these days, but I get small chunks. And so I was taking on some unfinished projects that have been sitting around my bench. One of them, a small uh, round table that we did as a project, oh, back early summer, I think, this year. And I thought, okay, now's a good time. Sand it out. Make sure I got the dings out of it. Sitting around my bench, it gets plenty of those. And let's start finishing it. You know, it takes 20 minutes, 30 minutes to get a coat on of of finish. And I'm just putting an oil on this. It's an alder uh, table. It's made of alder. It'll be fine. It's not a fancy, fancy piece. It's just a craftsman-style piece. It serves a purpose. And as I'm putting on the first coat, I'm thinking, why am I putting on more than one coat? I mean, I'm doing this basically to get a color change. I mean, I'm using the oil as a stain, and after that... Do I really need another three coats? And then I walked away from the project and let it dry and came back to it the next day and put that second coat on, and I started to think about this decision to continue. And once I had put that second coat on, I realized I I had already made the decision. I was going to do this piece right. I could walk away from it then, or I could look at it down the road, down the line, and say, yeah, I did that right. And that is the decision that craftspeople face every time they, they work on a piece. Am I going to do it right? Am I going to cut corners? And what informs that decision? What defines quality at your bench? And that's an interesting thing to consider. It's a very interesting thing to consider because there are so many factors that impinge themselves upon your decision. There's the idea of uh, economy. Are you going to get paid for this piece? Is it for Christmas? I'm starting my Christmas presents, building them now, so I have to move with some alacrity. Uh, is it uh, is it for a client? Uh, are you getting well paid, or are you just getting paid? What are those economic factors that inform your your building of this piece? And then there's the the issue of of what do you know and you know, you might be trying your best, and yet the quality of the piece is perhaps not where you'd like it to be. But that gets back to the, the very nature of, of craftsmanship, which is the desire to do a job well for its own sake, for your sake, but to do the job as best as you can do it, whether that job is surgery or baking bread or putting on a coat of finish. You want to do the best job you can possibly do at it. In the wonderful book, The Craftsman by Richard Sennett, he talks about many of these issues. It's a fantastic book. Get a copy. Read it. He starts out referring to Hannah Arendt, a philosopher, thinker, who is convinced that the mind engages only once labor is done. To my mind, she never worked with her hands. And And she seems to be involved in this classical versus romantic struggle where there is no mixture of understanding and play. All right, I'm getting a lot of stuff thrown in here, so let me back up. In Sennett's book, he talks about the very nature of, of craftsmanship being ethically ambiguous. Therefore, the folks who made the atom bomb did an excellent job of it. No matter the outcome, They did an excellent job of building this bomb. Excellent craftsmanship. So no matter what the task is at hand, if you're involved in the craft of it, if you're engaged in that, then you are dedicated to that work. And the nature of craft is to be engaged with your work, doing good work for its own sake. Every time, an experiment goes awry in the, in the lab, the technician says, I have to do that better. Senate uses the uh, analogy of a conductor going over and over on a string passage, trying to get it just right. A furniture maker is trying to put a joint together and knows that the factory down the road can do it 10 times faster, but still has to do it up to his or her standards. That's what it means to be engaged to be involved with not just what gets produced, but how it gets produced. And the craftsman, the craftsperson, strives each time to get better. Each time to get better with each piece. So there's a different mindset to that than someone who's just cranking out product. There's a very different approach to that. Those of you who have read my book Handmade know how much I'm influenced by uh, Robert Persick's book Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance. And throughout the book, there's a, there's a very long and detailed argument about the classic versus romantic idea of quality. What things mean versus what they are. How things work versus how they look. Left hemisphere versus right hemisphere. Form versus appearance. The left hemisphere makes order out of chaos and and let someone become a motorcycle mechanic because there's an understanding of the systems involved in doing that. And the right hemisphere has a vision of reality that is about riding the motorcycle. Motorcycle maintenance versus riding the motorcycle. This classical mode, this left brain mode, is almost by law under control and unemotional, restrained, logical, it's temporal, So you're you're watching the clock. I've got .9 hour to get this Volkswagen tuned up. That's what it was at the shop that I worked at. There was nine-tenths of an hour you had to get the job done. If you did an hour, you're losing the the boss money. He's not happy. That's a very classical approach. The romantic approach to this is, is very different. It's imaginative and creative. It's intuitive. It's feelings rather than facts. And where Persic ends up with this notion of quality is somewhere between the two. That's what, he's, that's what he's shooting for, this pre-intellectual awareness of what quality is, this awareness the minute you see something that it's, that's it, that's quality. It's pre-intellectual. It's pre-thought. It's pre-speech. You walk into a room and something doesn't feel right. We know it. We sense it. We feel it. We walk into a room and it feels just right. We see a piece and we pick it up and we know without saying this is beautiful. We know it. We feel it. And that's a mixture, I think. That's a synthesis of both the left, left brain and right brain approach. It's that synthesis of the classical and romantic that I think we, certainly I, search for in my work. Trying to make things that make sense, fulfill a purpose or function. But at the same time, grab us on a visceral level. So that when you see a piece, when you touch a piece, you go, oh, this works, but oh, it's beautiful. Both. Persig talks about his motorcycle, and he was having all sorts of problems with it, stalling out at high speeds on them. And so he took it to these mechanics, and the mechanics were the ones who listened to the radio, were spectators at their own labors, and not really involved in the work. There was no commitment on their part to doing a good job, no standards no desires to get better it was just a job they didn't care if they screwed it up they you know put it back together best they could and what this reminded him of since he was a writer of technical manuals is that technical manuals are often just spectator manuals it's built into the format of them implicit is the idea that here is the machine here is the jig isolate in time and in space And it has no relationship to you, and you have no relationship to it. It just sort of exists as a concept there floating in space. And these manuals forego the very important, read IKEA manual with no words now, the most important aspect of all, which is caring about what what you're doing, caring about how you're building something. It's either considered to be unimportant or simply taken for granted that's one of the one of the reasons i loved i i so loved the idiot's guide to volkswagen maintenance that wonderful wonderful book from from years ago because he was he always thought about doing jobs well now this struggle that crafts people face is another interesting idea that Senate puts forth and that is that ever since we invented tools and started to create civilizations built by craftspeople, they have never been valued. They have never been valued by the powers that be. And they have to live somewhere between the working class, the, the laborers, and the rich who can fund everything on top. So it's nothing new to our time. Um, but it's it's a bit harder these days when there's such a disconnect between our our brains and, and reality because so much is done on a screen. I think that there is an obligation that comes with the good grace to be able to work at your bench, the luck, the fortune, the fortunes that allow you to buy tools and to learn skills and to maintain these skills and perhaps to pass them on. And pass them on to new generations. And it's not just woodworking, it's weaving and cooking, and you name it. All of these things. We have an obligation to keep these crafts alive for the sake of our society, for the sake of our communities. It's not a selfish skill that I'm after or a modest standard of living. It is not just a retreat from my neighbors, it is that I can help them by what I. What I am engaged in by showing people the virtue of quality in a life that has been drained of it by our mass consumption and need to replace items so very, very quickly. It is a desire to maintain some sort of connection to our work and to our world rather than the fragmentation that we suffer from, all of us suffer from, I think. And it's a difficult, it's a difficult job. Senate talks about uh, the moral imperative of doing your best work for the sake of the community and how that gets weakened when overtaken by dominant political forces, indifferent to how the work was done. Just get it done. We don't care how how it looks or how it lasts. I think one need only look around the the streets of Portland to see that occurring again. It's not about quality. Architecture is no longer a statement to the people about this is who we are. It's a statement only that this is how much money we made. This is how quick we were able to put this up. This is how many dollars per square feet we can make on this building. Rather than a statement that we were here at this time, decades ago, a century ago, and we thought it was worthwhile to build something of quality. So Senate uses this analogy of when communism fell, that the capitalists were able to say, see, it's the marketplace that yields good results, not communal activity. Competition spurs quality. When you read shop class as soul craft, you get that same idea, that competition spurs quality. It's bad to give people uh, attaboys and congratulations for a job well done. That only makes them lazy. This is a think tanker talking about craft. In the actual world, people need to know that they're doing a good job. They need to have that feedback that they're doing the job well. Up until the point where they know they're doing the job well, and by God, they're going to do it anyway, even if you, this consumer, can't see it. It's important to them. It's important to you when you build. that it's done right and so when it goes out the door you feel good about it it's an interesting dilemma i don't have high hopes for for our level of quality but it is the job i've taken on is to continue to to work towards it towards that idea that quality has value particularly in our world today it is worth doing things well so when i when i say do good work. That's exactly what I mean. Quality is important. So I hope you will engage with your work with this new (laughs) fever of excitement and, you know, I don't know, carry on. Do your best. Do your best work, even if it sucks. Even if your best work sucks. That's the time you have to continue, right? You know you didn't do it as well as you could, that's the time you gotta say, All right, I'm getting back to it. I'm gonna do it better next time. It's the way you gotta approach it. You have to. Let me just wrap this up by saying that there are competing versions of what quality means in the world today. From the get it done fast, make as much money as you possibly can, American approach to making things to the German standard of excellence, to the Japanese standard of perfection. And you have to figure out where you're going to put yourself in that continuum. What kind of standards are you going to adhere to? Where does quality lie in your work? We all have to make that choice. But if you do work of quality, it will show through. It will emanate from your work. People will sense it and see it, and feel it. And that's a good thing. That's a good thing. In any event, thanks very much for listening during these holidays. I hope you'll check out our website, northwestwoodworking.com. I hope you'll support us on coffee. There is a link on our homepage at northwestwoodworking.com. You can click on that and get to coffee and ask me a question, buy me a coffee. Again, please check out our website. Uh, Please check out uh, the work of our Mastery students on the Mastery pages. Uh, There's some fantastic stuff that's been made by by our students. Do good work. Thanks very much for listening. Take care. Happy Solstice. Bye-bye.